Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Happy to be back with you for another edition of the Swarmcast. David Eichel, you don't see Sean Bach. Sean is busy grinding out some other recruiting stuff and preview stuff for our Penn State preview. But I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to invite my good friend and colleague Tyler Donahue from our Lions 247 site, which does a phenomenal job covering Penn State and everything Nittany Lion related. Brother, I appreciate you hopping on. How are things going? Things are going good. This is our second time chatting this week. You who are on my podcast, I'm more than happy to return the favor. And I know we've exchanged some questions, so hopefully your listeners get a chance to check out the text coverage as well. Uh, but happy to be with you. You guys set the standard for Iowa Hawkeyes coverage and uh, glad to get you in the press box at Beaver Stadium finally this Saturday. Yeah, man, I'll tell you that like the top of my college football bucket list from a media perspective was to go to Penn State during the whiteout. So I'm thrilled that I was having the opportunity to do it. And obviously they won't, you know, in the future, who knows when the next opportunity will be given the divisions are going away. Iowa Penn State doesn't have that protected cross division rivalry, uh, which I love the Penn State Iowa series. So I kind of want to start there with you, Tyler, because I've told people on my message board, and I've told, you know, some of our other colleagues, some other national football people, I really do believe Iowa Penn State is one of the more underrated. I mean, it's not an official rival, rivalry, obviously, but just the series between them. Tensions have boiled up. Most of the games have come down to the final possession or the final couple of minutes. And if you go back since 2000, Iowa holds a 10 to 7 advantage, but the average score is 20 to 19. I mean, these are competitive games and you get the all-time great performances like Saquon Barkley put together the most incredible single game performance I've ever seen. Christian McCaffrey obviously is up there as well, what he did against Iowa in that Rose Bowl. Sorry, Iowa fans. That's just the harsh reality. Uh, But from the Penn State side of things, I'm just kind of curious what your view of this rivalry, which has really just, it really does feel like a true rivalry game now, uh, especially with the way the last time kind of ended. Yeah, I'm from outside the Penn State ecosystem. I didn't graduate from the university. I didn't cover the the, the team as a student reporter, like a lot of our reporters. So I, I didn't get a lot of the earlier, uh, I guess, in my lifetime instances of these two teams playing. Folks around here will still talk about that 6-4 to four come in Beaver Stadium from 2004 and kind of like, while they talk about it, you'll think they're chewing on a lemon. Um, and, 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 you know, now you got the 2021 loss in Iowa city. That's really stacks up there and still sticks in a lot of people uh, in a negative way to this day. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of the blemish moments of, of the James Franklin era, because when you look at that matchup, Penn state was unbeaten. Sean Clifford was playing at a very high level, a level that we hadn't witnessed from him before. And Mike Yersich was a first year offensive coordinator at the time with Penn state. And, Clifford, I believe, may have had an interception or two in that first half, but overall Mm -hmm. he was leading Penn State down the field, and we saw them build that lead on the road, and it's a top 10 matchup. I think they're both inside the top five, and you're thinking, wow, 
you're thinking, okay, this is an Iowa defense. If, if Sean Clifford's doing it today, we've got to buy into this being the Sean Clifford of 2021. Uh, even though they weren't running the ball and they never would the rest of that season, lo and behold, he gets hurt. We get our first extended look at Taquan Roberson, who has since transferred out to UConn, uh, and it did not go well. It was as unprepared as I've ever seen a back quarterback for a game in terms of what the production looked like. And you know what happened the rest of the way, uh, the boos that rained down, uh, why they rained down, and the reaction from both sides about whether that was merited or not. And that debate still rages on Twitter or X to this day, as you well know, David. But I think aside from all the noise that has been generated beyond the field, it has been awesome to see these two teams line up for 60 minutes of play. I mean, the, the first time I covered this matchup, was that Saquon Barkley road game. I still kind of think of it as the Trace McSorley walk-off because he found Jawan Johnson back in the end zone. I, I really don't need to re rehash this for any of your listeners. But, you know, <laughs> I was going to uh, say, you're giving them some flashbacks <laughs> right now. <laughs> but look, I think I, for a while there, Penn State was the one dishing out the pain in this series. There was that win. There was the game where, where uh, that Penn State goes on the road with Kane as a freshman to grind it out toward the finish line. And Sean Clifford, I think, was a first-time starter in a big environment. And it was a 21-19 win, uh, or whatever it was, a 17-12 win in 2019. And that kind of launched a big Penn State season. Uh, and there was, uh, you know, along the way, so, some – Games where it just seemed like Iowa couldn't figure it out against the Nittany Lions. But the last couple of matchups, they were not pleasant for Penn State. Back in 2020, it was a haymaker that, that Iowa landed on a team that was 0-4. Uh, they had lost a, a talented player in Pat Fryermuth the week going into that matchup. And it just yeah. felt like they were getting you know, kicked in the ribs, laying down on the ground by the Hawkeyes that night. If you recall, Will Levis had his shining moment as a Penn State starter. got one half of work and then the leash was yanked and Sean Clifford was reinserted and he remained the starting quarterback and Will Levis ends up at Kentucky. Uh, but that was a spiral kind of night for Penn State to, to cap off a spiral 0-5 start. And and then we went into what happened the next time they played in 2021 when it went from Penn State fans being super low on the program and seeing things get lower to being incredibly high about where Penn State could possibly go in 2021. And after that game, man, they went from 5-0 and to seven and six and they came into yeah. 2022 last year even though he had that big contract extension signed sealed and delivered there was a lot of questions about the trajectory of this program under james franklin and to their credit since then they have 14 wins two losses and a rose bowl trophy to show for it yeah you know i almost don't count that 2020 season for a lot of reasons i think everybody should i think there's only two things significant about iowa's 2020 season number one the win against michigan state was one of the most important wins in the Kirk Ferentz era. They started off 0-2. They got that win after the, all the racial stuff during the summer, which really clogged the program. And, you know, Tyler probably was the story of college football during that offseason, just outside of the fact, hey, are we even having a season at this point? And then number two is being Penn State, because Penn State had been such a thorn in Iowa's side. Iowa had been so close to beating them, so like, you know, a few times. That was just good for them to be able to break that streak. But outside of that, I really don't count it. I mean, let's keep this in mind. In 2020, you want to know how weird that season was? Iowa was averaging over 30 points a game on offense. <laughs> and then you look at what happened in 2021 and 2022, right? Uh, but no, that, that's what, it, the I, key. The key was the key was not letting defenders tackle anybody on a football field from January of the previous year through October of that fall. And then, yeah. then the Iowa offense was clicking. A masterclass, Brian Ferentz game plan. I'll tell you, 
they have happened. They're far and few between, but he has delivered uh, on some good ones. And he'll have to obviously do that this weekend. But transitioning into this matchup right now, I think it's going to be closer than people, most Penn State insiders think and national people think. Uh, because I have a lot of respect for Iowa's defense, I still think, even though there are some questions about the Iowa secondary, which I still have, especially deep. But I want to talk about Drew Allar because I think he's one of the most interesting players in America to me because I've watched his, not trajectory, but his ranking when he was getting recruited skyrocket. It seemed like he went from, what, mid-200s, and all of a sudden you've see him oh look he's in the top 15 overall prospects he's in the top 10 overall prospects six five what about 245 showcased some nice ability last year struggled last week against illinois but this is a guy who i think when he, if he reaches his potential is probably could be one of the top five best quarterbacks in america so give me kind of your perspective on drew and then we'll kind of dive into more details and questions i have about him he came up quarterback in the country. And I think they're based on the sample size we have thus far and the feedback you have internally from Penn state's facilities, he could leave this campus as the number one NFL draft pick. I mean, you already went through the measurables six foot five, 240 plus pounds as a college sophomore um, with the kind of arm that can you know send the football to any blade of grass across the field. Those guys are few and far between every recruiting cycle. There's maybe three or four of them. They end up at a big-time program. Penn State had swung and missed at those kind of players. They had Justin Fields committed at one point. He ends up at Ohio State via transfer from Georgia. Uh, you know, they 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 had their you know even Caleb Williams. You know, they were a hat on the table, a finalist for yeah. Caleb Williams, and, and and they didn't get that done. So uh, Sean Clifford gave them four years of very solid quarterback play, and towards the tail end of his career, you could you could say a, a very good quarterback play last year at times. But it wasn't like breakthrough the college football playoff barrier kind of quarterback play. And that's what they think they may have in Drew Aller, who played 10 games last year. I don't know if people realized he got involved as much as he did. Uh, there was some clamoring midseason when Penn State had lost a, a couple games about should they just hand the keys to the freshman and tell Sean Clifford, the four-time team captain, to sit aside and be the good soldier. James Franklin said, thanks, but no thanks. But he still got Drew Aller involved 10 different times. That was as much as any freshman played in 10 years at Penn State at the quarterback position, going back to Christian Hackenberg. So he had some seasoning yeah. under his belt. And now here he is through three starts. And, and you referenced the struggles against Illinois. And it was a step back in terms of production and passing performance. He was at uh, you know, just about 80% pass completion through the first couple matchups of the season. West Virginia, you know, the first possession ends with a 72-yard touchdown pass. You can't write it much better than that. And then you've got him out to the sideline by the really mid, midway through the third quarter. Um, in this matchup, he was under 50% um, on the day. But I'll point out that for the third consecutive start and for the 13th time in his college career, he went through a game and did not turn the ball over once. And when you have this defense, which I truly believe is the Big Ten's most deep, most deep in terms of the talent that they can send out in waves and what Manny Diaz can do with it, with this defense and with this running back group with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, if you're getting competency and ball security from your quarterback, that's a great start. And so when you're tethering that to the skill set and the six foot five, 240 pound frame, and we have seen some production this year, especially early in the year, 
that's why the combination has people letting themselves imagine that this program here in 2023 can compete for a college football playoff spot, not waiting for him to figure it out, get into his junior year, and then all the things come together. What we hear, heard about this guy going in preseason camp, David, took him 12 practices to turn the ball over against this defense, and he still hasn't done it in a game. In Illinois' defensive front last week, Johnny Newton may have had the best individual defensive performance I've covered but anyone playing against Penn State, he's going to be an All-American. He's going to be a first-round pick at defensive tackle. He was all over Drew Aller on the road, first Big Ten start. Wasn't pretty, but he didn't turn the ball over once. And there was only one occasion where I remember a pass even being up to, for in harm's way. And that goes a long way with the first-year starter. Yeah, I think that's interesting you brought up the 12 practices. Because I've tried to keep up around the Big Ten who I was going to be playing. And I did not know about that. That is a that's a crazy stat. We found that out leads... after pre- we found that out after preseason camp. But yeah, that was okay. pretty remarkable to learn. You know, and even diving into that because, and this is no disrespect to Drew Drew Aller. And the other thing, by the way, I know Penn State fans look at me a certain way because of the way I picked this game. But I'm just staying true to my gut. We already talked about that. We'll talk about it at the end. I think Penn State is the second best team in the East. I think they're. I think you can make an easy case that they're number one. I'm not really buying Ohio State right now. I still give Michigan the nod because they haven't lost and they get Harbaugh back and there's still Blake Quorum's there. They still have a ton of talent. But like if you look at roster construction up and down, like I love what James Franklin's done with the program, especially from a recruiting standpoint. And it's been interesting to kind of watch how he's responded because, like you said, he hasn't always been looked at the way he's being looked at now. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I know people have, you know, wanted to fire him. Uh, so it's been interesting. So I think they are the second best team. You can make an argument with that being said, and this is not dismissing drew by any means. I will be shocked if Iowa doesn't get at least one turnover in this game. So I guess for you, how would you anticipate you again, you've covered his recruitment cycle. I mean, you, you have a good idea on this. I, I don't what, how would you anticipate him responding if he does reach that adversity and turning the ball over? Because we'll, we'll talk about this on CBS sports on Saturday. One of my keys to the game is Iowa has to rattle drew early by forcing an early turnover, because if you can put that pressure on a young quarterback who hasn't faced a lot of that, that really tests their moxie and their composure. And that's something Kirk Ferentz brought up about drew is just how composed he is and how in control he kind of always seems to be. So just curious about what your perspective or what you would anticipate happens if that's the case. I think uh, Kirk Ferentz described him perfectly. I would say that James Franklin has described him and teammates have described him the same way, pointing to that composure. That was well before we saw him, you know, hit the, hit the stage as a starting quarterback. We heard about that, you know, during spring ball, but really as August started to progress, uh, and this, again, this defense applied pressure during preseason camp. They're not going to be batting him around. But I, I think what we what we kept hearing from the staff and what we kept hearing from Drew and players is like, I'm not sure when Drew Aller is going to face a better defense or a defense as good as this Penn State defense when you're looking at the schedule. And, and along the way, the conversation has always been like, probably that Iowa game is going to be your litmus. And I think we're there now. I mean, he's again, it wasn't the fireworks show on the road in Illinois. He didn't go out and, and clobber them, but his first start resulted in Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. So that's checking that off the list right away against West Virginia. Uh, you know, I think he had six incompletions that day. A few of them were drops, and he had 325 yards and three touchdowns. You know, that's your welcome to, you know, college football starting role in front of 108,000 people in Beaver Stadium. 
he lived yeah. up to that moment. But what we do need to see is him take some heat. He's taken one sack, so a credit to the offensive line for that. He's also only played eight full quarters, David. He's only had to attempt two passes in the fourth quarter. He wasn't in the fourth quarter uh, in week two uh, when they had Delaware at home and they won 63 to seven. And to their credit, they did enough against West Virginia to get him out after the first possession of the fourth quarter. And then last week against Illinois, similar setup. They scored a touchdown on their first uh, drive of that fourth quarter and he's yanked for the remaining uh, of the action. So what does it look like when a, he's got a, a, a one possession lead and he's got to protect it and it's the fourth quarter. Uh, and what does it look like when B he's got a deficit, and it's getting late, and he's got to rally his troop. So those are two things we don't quite know yet, his put-away ability as a starting quarterback and also his comeback ability as a starting quarterback. But in terms of the steadiness, I mean, James Franklin has repeatedly called him Steady Eddie. Um, he's a guy that we, you know, we'll see what it looks like when he gets clobbered and has to get up or when he throws a bad interception and has to come back out and, and rally from that. Uh, but all the reports are good. But I think I agree. That's kind of a part of the, the curtain that still needs to be peeled back on Drew Aller. A lot of what we have seen, essentially everything we have seen has matched up with that five star prospect profile and what you want to see in terms of maturation from a soft. But the one thing we just don't know yet is when it's really showtime and it's make or break and it's on you. How do you respond? Yeah, and I think that's another reason why Iowa needs to force turnovers because, in my opinion, Iowa has to win the field position battle because of all of Iowa's injuries. Iowa's missing 40% of their offensive production, which is insane considering we're only three games in and they're down their top two running backs and tight end. So Iowa has to get turnovers in, in you know Penn State territory. They Tory Taylor is going to be Tory Taylor. I just kind of assume that at this point. And I'm curious how the weather's going to play an impact in both these teams' game plans because as it gets closer, it seems like the rain's more likely to be a factor. And two things come to mind when it comes to that. Number one, the 2009 game when Adrian Claiborne blocked the punt because that was it was just raining cats and dogs that day. But the other one is when Nate Stanley went in there and they had every opportunity to win that game. Oh, oh. As they, they couldn't. That was bad, he, man. That was one of the I mean, that was one of the worst. And he was such a mercurial quarterback. I mean, you know that he was the guy who would get fire one week and then throw a dud up. And that was a dud. And he had that that interception in the end zone to seal it. Iowa had every right to win that game. And and Penn State was ripe for the picking in Beaver Stadium that day. And they couldn't knock down that door. And that was part of what I said earlier. It just felt like for a while there, uh, Kirk Ferentz wasn't going to crack the code against James Franklin. And it's kind of been reversed in the last couple of matchups. You know, with Nate Stanley, too, he – He's a really good quarterback, I think, especially after you find out what was to come in Iowa's offensive performances the past few years since Stanley. I think Nate Stanley's a lot more revered and respected than he was. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing about Nate was he can never win the big one. Never beat Wisconsin. Couldn't crack the code against Penn State. Obviously had the five-touchdown performance against Ohio State, which is probably yeah. a top-five game in Kinnick Stadium history and Iowa history just from the fans' perspective that 55-24 win. But diving into this Penn State defense, you brought it up. I think if Iowa's not the best defense in the Big Ten, if Michigan's not there, I think you can make a good case for all three. I love Penn State's defense. I think Kalen King is the only cornerback you can make an argument for that's better than Cooper DeGene. And I think if people don't, if Iowa people are, you know, rolling their eyes saying, oh, you know, Cooper's definitely better. Kalen King got challenged so many times last year, and he just continued – to rise above it. I mean, there's two, there's a pro prospect on the other side who was absolutely outstanding. I think I read this in your piece this week. 
Kalen King had 18 pass breakups last year, which is the most among power five defensive backs. The kid's an absolute stud. He's going to be a top 15, top 20 pick. Abdul Carter, I think he's still undervalued on a national scale. That's a guy I would put in a preseason All-American team. I think he's the best middle linebacker. I'm not saying he's Jack Campbell territory because I don't want Iowa fans to get a rage mob when it comes to that. But Abdul Carter, man, he's an absolute playmaker. So give me a little bit more insight into this Penn State defense. Again, I look at the secondary and Abdul Carter, and you're thinking they got some pieces, man. They really do. Yeah. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And and they've got a, a, a ringleader in Manny Diaz that they're really excited about. I mean, this could prove to be a tipping point in the James Franklin era, not just getting Manny Diaz last year. That's a guy who could have gone to a TV studio for a year. It's a guy who could have just yeah. said, hey, let's let's travel the world to his family for a year and then spend all the money the Hurricanes still owe him. And <laughs> instead, he came up here to Happy Valley, you know, way up north and, and where he's going to have to endure some winners and took over a defense where there was some question marks last year going in. And week by week by week, they answered the bell. And Manny Diaz got some interest as a head coach last offseason. And for him to decide nothing was really worth leaving here for, nothing made sense in the moment, to buy a second year with him is big for James Franklin. And he will go deep with this defense. We saw it a bunch last year. You're going to probably see 10 defensive linemen. and Not probably. You're going to see 10 defensive linemen play for Penn State by halftime. Uh, it, there's no question about it. You're going to see four starter. You're going to see four safety probably go over 30 snaps. Um, we don't pay attention to starting roles too much around here. You're going to see Denai Dennis Sutton, a sophomore who's a backup defensive end, maybe play the most out of any defensive end, and that includes Shop Robinson, who's a projected first-round pick in next year's draft. Dennis Sutton is someone really I'll be keeping a close eye on this game. We've seen the Penn State opponents thus far, especially the overmatched ones early on, uh, really try to play – get the ball out quick, get the, get the quarterback, get in the ball out real fast, play darts and, and just eliminate opportunities for Penn state to actually swarm to the pocket. I, I'm curious here against Cade McNamara uh, when they're looking to open up a little bit here and get vertical. Uh, can a guy like the night Dennis son have a breakout moment, five-star prospect. He's shown a lot of good things, um, you know, but we haven't seen the sack game really step up for this defense. And I, I'll go back to Abdul Carter. <clears throat> he's someone that uh, we didn't get a chance to see Micah Parsons blitz, unfortunately, much at, at Penn State. He, he left after his, his he left after his sophomore year because of the opt out situation yeah. with COVID. If he was there as a junior, you would have seen him be unleashed as, as a pass rusher. We didn't get to see it at Penn State. It's a bummer because now he's going to be a Hall of Fame NFL pass rusher. <laughs> but we have fortunately seen Abdul Carter be utilized. There has not been a wait to get to that point. He had six and a half sacks last year as a freshman. I think he started six or seven games this year. I think that is an, an area where in this game in particular, I think he could be their most disruptive pass rusher. 
against Iowa, working in from that second level. And Caitlin King's been outstanding. As you said, not only was he the guy who was, you know, they tried to pick on with Joey Porter across from him last year, but yeah. Porter goes down. Porter gets his appendix removed last November and is gone for the rest of the season. And he flourishes as the top guy. He had a phenomenal interception early in the Utah matchup in the Rose Bowl to help, you know, put that one, uh, yeah. in Penn State's favor early. But the guy across from him, Johnny Dixon, they're calling him a lead around here. They're saying that his NFL draft stock is skyrocketing. He's in his third year out of South Carolina. Last year, he was their third cornerback behind Dixon and behind Joey Porter. He is a very aggressive corner. He can play on the perimeter and nail that down. But he's really, to me, the most impressive when he gets near that line of scrimmage. He can do a lot of damage. You're going to see him working in a, a, as, a, as a slot cover guy at times. So they're going to go five defensive backs with, with – uh, probably frequency, I would say, against Iowa. Regardless of what Iowa wants to throw their way, they feel that good about their defensive backfield. They're going to get those guys involved. So I, there's a lot of names I could go because you're going to see a bunch of them. Sure. But I would just say those are a few there because Johnny Dixon, opposite of Kalen King, maybe he's playing that Kalen King uh, 2022 kind of role where people are overlooking him a little bit. And I'll just say this about King. Most of us on the beat, I think, are in agreement that he is a better overall cornerback prospect than Joey Porter Jr. was at this time last year with Penn State. Porter had a lot of really interesting physical intangibles, and you see that length on display. But Kalen yeah. King, Kalen King, if you're drafting just players off this team to put together an 11-man football squad, uh, and you want a guy who can play both ways and just be a, a rock star on the football field, that might be your number one pick and under consideration at that, that cornerback spot. Although he has not been, he, he said it this week. He, he wants to see some targets. He sounds like kind of a disgruntled <laughs> wide receiver. He said he, he's hoping to see some targets and we'll see if Cade McNamara serves them up. You know, it's kind of funny too. Number one, big 10 quarterbacks are thrilled that Micah Parsons did not play that year. I'm with you. <laughs> I would have loved to see him, but you know, the quarterbacks are happy about that too. Kalen King is getting the other King treatment. The Desmond King treatment, when Desmond King came back for his senior year, you know, after he had that outstanding junior year, people thought he really tailed off his senior year. And I just sat back and said, guys, he hasn't. Yeah. Nobody's throwing the ball his way, right? I mean, so it's kind of one of those situations uh, there. But I'm like I said, I'm with you. I think Penn State's defense is phenomenal. I, I think it's hey, Iowa. Yeah. David, can I just say, would you rather yeah. see a cornerback at seven? Would you rather see a cornerback at 75 tackles and four interceptions? Or would you rather them on a weekly basis essentially shut down a quadrant of the field and let exactly. the 10 other guys clean up the rest? You'll, you'll, any coaching staff will tell you you'll take the latter. No, exactly. And I, I think that's what's interesting about the Cooper DeGene situation. Cooper DeGene's so good in run support. I think people really overlook that because he's been that good kind of playmaking cornerback. And I know Iowa fans hate me saying this, but it's a stat I'll never get over. Cooper DeGene led Iowa in touchdown receptions until the bowl game. And he's a cornerback. <laughs> So <laughs> did you get, are you sponsored by a whiskey yet? Did I hear that? Are you, you, you I, I, sh I should there? be right. Yeah. I, I, somebody <laughs> started the GoFundMe last year. after having to watch that. Uh, that would have been, Oh, that would have been just glorious. Oh, who knows though? Uh, but no, it'd be interesting. I know Iowa fans want to see Cooper DeGene kind of run with that Travis Hunter role right now, but Cooper's too valuable on defense. You can't attempt to throw him in on offense. And I don't envy Brian Ferentz this week because I'll be honest, Tyler, I have no idea what Iowa's going to try to do. If they're going to try to do the same old thing, uh, maybe they trust the tight ends. And I, the Iowa defense has kind of been victims of that uh, quick routes too. I mean, if you look at the quarterbacks going up against Iowa, they're throwing a lot of passes. They get rid of the ball in the second half. Like, don't look at Iowa's sack numbers. Iowa feels very, very good about their defensive front. But 
Transitioning over to keys of the game, maybe something that's overlooked and we'll get into our final prediction here as well. And I would advise people take a look at all the Penn state preview site. They've done a great job about their, their running back duo, everything drew drew Aller, the, practice observations and you know Sean Sean Box done a deep dive into some of the players they'll need to watch but x factors into the game is this one of those things I know Iowa fans will hate the answer to this if it goes the way they they're thinking it's going to go but I think it's valuable to ask it Tyler is it going to be one of those things for Penn State where you really just feel like they need to go in there and take care of business because they're at that level or do you still see like certain things that they're going to have to accomplish to to win I mean they're a 14 and a half point favorite I don't blame them given all of Iowa's offensive injuries, but I also, this game also strikes me as if Penn state wins by 10, it won't surprise me, but I really will be surprised if it gets out of hand early. I think Penn state is absolutely still in prove it mode. Uh, This isn't anything where I'm going to assume they're going to be able to coast by a team like Iowa. Iowa causes too many problems perennially in this matchup it feels like whenever they play they frustrate opponents and and that's annually and so I think that's going to be the case with a first year starting quarterback now will it result in some kind of turnover spree that we haven't seen from Penn State that's a big question um I I, I'm with you I don't see Penn State like burying Iowa in this game um when we get to our predictions I I do think there'll be kind of an arm's length kind of conversation during the game, but I don't see Penn state sprinting away. And if they were to do that, then that would probably be a strong signal that they're ready to party this year. I mean, if if Penn state were to blow the doors off of the Hawkeyes and send them home, really hurting, that would tell us. And by the way, the next, the next few weeks for Penn state after this, they're at Northwestern, which is a dumpster fire. They've got a bye week, and then they're they're home against UMass for their final non-conference game. So they're talking about the ability to marinate in a really good situation for about a month here ahead as chaos unfolds across college football and Big Ten teams beat each other up. They'll be sitting pretty, and you almost look like unless they totally trip themselves up somehow along the way, and there's not really a landmine right there in early October or late September beyond this, they should be in the top five when it really starts to, to ramp yeah. up in the Big Ten. But uh, you know, here they are, number seven, and they've got Iowa. And if they were to lose this game, then no one's going to be putting them in that, in that conversation, Iowa State or Michigan. And if they were to uh, maybe struggle their way through this game and win because of a blunder on Iowa's part, then I think the jury's still very much out. And so we'll see where it lands. I think ultimately a key to the game for me is going to be, does Penn State really get it going on the ground? To this point, they've kind of jabbed their way through the first few games uh, with Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. It hasn't been that those guys haven't performed too well. Illinois did a great job for about two and a half, three quarters last week against them. And then you're not going to run Nick Singleton or Katron Allen a bunch against a team like Delaware. And prior to that, they buried West Virginia. So again, these guys, I think, are going to be in for a four-quarter game. And because I believe Penn State will have a second-half lead, you know, whether that's one possession or two possessions, I'm with you. I don't think it'll be you know, 35-7 to seven in the third quarter. But will they have the ground game that keeps their offense on the field and, and methodically begins to turn a very, very good Iowa defense into a shell of itself by the time you get toward the end of this game because of the attrition that's going to be uh, mounting on those guys. So I think that's a big question. That's been the the problem for Penn State in years past where they haven't been able to break through from being a, a 
good team to a great team to a legitimate contender has been the inability to to put games away late with that offensive line, with the run game. They did it over and over again last year. They've won eight games in a row now. They've done it in different ways dating back to last November. But I think the question for me is against this Iowa team, uh, I know a lot of questions on Drew Aller, but can they say, this is the team we can be? We know Iowa wants to punch us in the mouth. We'll punch them right back. Because if I think it tur- if it turns into like Drew Aller's got to take this game on himself, then it gets a little easier and you expose him to some issues and you expose him to more hits. And it also exposes this Penn State team to more question marks about their true longevity as a college football playoff contender. No, and I think that's a great, great point, too, because that's something that Iowa's defensive line brought up this week. Logan Lee, who's a new team captain now, uh, you know, he's been kind of anchoring that middle of the line. And he just said, look, if we lose the push at the, at, as a defensive line, he said there's going to be a lot of problems. I think they know that Iowa's game plan, in my opinion, just kind of reading between the tea leaves, is they want to put the game on Drew Aller's shoulders. They want – Iowa second they want the Iowa secondary versus the sophomore quarterback matchup and that's probably the right way to go because I think Penn State has a lot of talent in the backfield so I'll be keeping a close eye on the trenches on both sides because if Iowa loses those Tyler I'm not I can't see a scenario where they win Iowa right now is too injury just too too deprived on the injury front and they don't have a lot of proven playmakers I still think there's a lot of talent in the room I think the Ohio State transfer Caleb Brown is going to continue to ascend up Iowa snap count and probably be the guy because I think he has the highest upside in the room. Does Iowa put the ball in his hands, say, hey, go make something happen or try to make something happen? Or is Iowa going to be three and out, three and out, punt, defense on the field, trying to do their thing there? Uh, That's why field position, again, is a big thing for me. But let's dive into the prediction. I have not – I did not read your uh, final prediction yet, so I'm I'm very curious where you're going with this. And if you said it when I was on your podcast, I – I, I apologize. I didn't. I did not. Um, I did not. Okay, good. I, I try to pride myself on remembering that. So I'll, I'll let you say uh, the way you're kind of feeling about things, and I'll, I'll come in with my final prediction if Iowa fans haven't already seen it from before yeah. the season. Uh, I'll, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be directed to the point here because I'll tell you what. When I asked David for his prediction on this game on my podcast earlier this week, it was like pulling teeth. He – he knew where he was going to land, but he just didn't really know the rationale to, to get there. And he got there. So, hey, if Iowa wins this game, they'll be lifted on the shoulders of your message board and they will carry you into into the sunset and you'll be in a good spot. And if they lose, everyone will say, well, we can that. Or, or, or David, at least you, you held out. So good for you. I, I do not think that Iowa is going to come in and win. Um, I, but I do think, <laughs> sorry, I had, I had to just point out, it was one of the funniest things on, my, on, my, on our podcast. It was just so great hearing you work your way toward that. I hope your conclusion. subscribers actually appreciate that too. Like the, the rationale is just, I'm trying to stick by my gut and my way priest. I can't, anyway, I'll just, just go on. Yeah. But yeah, well, you, you did it before you issued your prediction. You did a great job on our podcast laying out just how decimated Iowa is right now on the offensive end. And that's just the worst case scenario for this team, right? I mean, they can't afford to be down any kind of potential sparks on offense, considering where their baseline is on that side of the football. And so I already felt like this matchup was going to be a bit skewed in favor of Penn State because of the Nittany Lions defense versus Iowa offense element of this. And you've got a lot of things going on. You've got a, a quarterback who transferred in. You mentioned you've got Caleb Brown, a wide receiver who transferred in. Will these guys find their footing? Will it come together for them in this Iowa offense? Maybe, but is on the road in front of 110,000 people in a whiteout scenario when it actually happens? 
it seems highly unlikely to me, especially when Bryant Ferentz is the guy still holding the keys to the offense. And David, I know I'm not I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but that leads me to to land at 31-16 Penn State. Now the caveat here is if Iowa can do a little bit better in the red zone, I think they'll reach the red zone yeah. a few times. And I think actually, you know, I think they only get one touchdown out of those trips. And I think that that's ultimately going to help dictate where this thing goes. So if they settle for field goals, and, and I'll be curious early on, does Iowa play aggressive? If they have a fourth and two at Penn State's 18-yard line, do they line up and go for it or do they take the points? I guess that's going to depend on how Penn State's offense is playing against the Hawkeyes' defense. But I feel like this is a night where Iowa's going to need to take some chances and probably in the first half to steal some of that momentum away that's just going to be built in into the Beaver Stadium atmosphere because if, if things get avalanche mode for, for Penn State and they're able to, to string a few good things together, I've seen it play out for, for some really good teams, some other top 25 teams. This whiteout setting is not the place to storm back and to rally your troops. So I'll be really curious to see what kind of Iowa we see early on. I've got 31-16 Penn State coming away with the win. I think that's completely reasonable. Like I'm not picking that, but that's completely reasonable to me. Um, but like you said, yeah, pulling teeth. At this point, I'm just I'm going down with the ship. You know, it's like the guy at the Titanic. He's playing the flute the entire time. The ship is sinking. That's literally just going to be me with this pick. So if I'm like unless said, if I'm unless like, the ship if the ship miraculously floats back up to the surface and you're still playing the flute, then you'll look like the man. It, it, that's kind of where I'm going with it. There you go. If if Iowa can hold Penn State under 20, I like Iowa's chances. If Penn State gets a 21 or more. I don't see a scenario where Iowa wins. I just I, I can't see Iowa unless they somehow pull a Pittsburgh Steelers against the Cleveland Browns this past week in a fourth quarter performance. They had negative seven total yards and still put up like fourteen points. You need unless two face ma- you need two face max penalties from Drew Aller. <laughs> That'd be quite a story. Uh, anyway, I'm going off. I think I'm going off the deep end. I'm like the guy with all the. The stuff everywhere, the conspiracy theory, like that's probably me. Just put the tinfoil hat on me at this point. But I'm going down with the ship. Tyler, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being in Beaver Stadium. It's going to be a blast. I've heard a lot of really cool things about it. I'm prepared for the press box to be shaking. I'm anticipating I'll be on enough caffeine. I'll be shaking anyway, so maybe it'll feel normal to me. Uh, but, brother, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. Yeah, likewise, man. It's been fun uh, following along. I have no idea what the Big Ten is going to look like beyond this year, but I have a feeling that this this series is not finished just yet. So uh, first things first, let's get you to Beaver Stadium. Let's watch 60 minutes of, of what we hope will be high-quality Big Ten football, and then we'll figure it out on our respective sites how to handle everything after that. <laughs> so be sure to stay tuned to Lions 24-7 and Hawkeye Insider for the most in-depth coverage out there. Be sure to follow me at David Eicholt at SBOC247. Uh, Tyler, feel free to throw in any promotions that you would like if you'd like to plug any of your stuff. Hey, man, if you're not already, make sure you're subscribing to David and Sean's site. They crush it on the Iowa pod, uh, on the Iowa beat. If you're only listening to the podcast and not subscribing to their site, you're doing yourself a disservice. That's all you got from me. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Uh, for David Eichel, Tyler Donahue, 24-7 Sports, we will talk to you post-game. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.